Well, or that was the foxhole. <laughs> that was the foxhole yeah. one. But, First thing I have to say today is, may the fourth be with you. Did anybody get it? Did you get it, Glenn? Glenn, did you get that? Yeah. Can't you see my shirt? Uh, let me see. May yeah. the fourth Come be. To the dark side. We have. May the fourth be with you. All yeah. right, man. Very good. Okay. Hey guys, everybody. Hello and welcome. This is Amateur Radio Roundtable. This show is about ham radio, sometimes called amateur radio, and uh, we uh, are live tonight, Tuesday night, coming to you from uh, Carrierville, Tennessee. That's uh, in western Tennessee. If you're listening out there on International Shortwave, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, let us know where in the world you are. Send us an email to tom at w5kub. Dot com. That's Tom at W5KUB.com. And, and if, you, uh, if you do have internet there, you can join our show live on Tuesday nights. Uh, we are on YouTube. Just go to, to uh, YouTube.com slash W5KUB. And uh, you can join the show. We have a chat room there where you can join us. Now, our shortwave, our audio of this show is delayed. It's on shortwave on Thursday afternoons. That's the best spot we could get. And it's really worked out better for us to, to put the recording out there on Thursdays instead of trying to do it live. And uh, uh, so uh, if you're listening on shortwave, you're hearing this show on Thursdays, but we're actually live on Tuesday nights. I need everybody to do a, do me a favor real quick. Uh, um, since we've gone to the YouTube type format, I need everybody out there to hit the uh, subscribe button there on your video. Please hit the subscribe button. That will help our show out tremendously. It helps us to uh, get our uh, ratings higher in the show, and it also uh, allows YouTube to advertise its show. Uh, throughout the YouTube channels to other people. You know, as they're surfing uh, different videos, uh, our video will pop up there and they can click on it. So please hit the subscribe button. Uh, hit the like button. That also helps us uh, on our rating, uh, ratings. And if you like to, hit that little bell. That little bell is a notification that will tell you anytime we go live. And sometimes we go live in between shows. There are special things that come up and we go live there. So anyway, uh, that's, uh, that's just what I wanted to tell you about our YouTube, and please subscribe to us there. Also, join our Facebook group. We have a Facebook group of over 12,000 hams, and it kind of follows the show. 
But it's a, it's just a good um, a Facebook group for ham radio. Post your shack pictures. Uh, Katie will show us shack pictures uh, on our show live some night. Uh, you know, talk ham radio and everything. And it also will follow the show. So uh, just join our Facebook group, 12,000 Hams Strong. And you can just go to uh, W5KUB in Facebook. Uh, just do a search for W5KUB and that'll take you there. Or you can type in Amateur Radio Roundtable. Our name is so long, I, I don't expect anybody to type that in. So join our Facebook group. Hit the subscribe button there. Let's see what's going on tonight. Um, uh, Katie is at a uh, city council meeting. She may be with us if she gets out in time. Alan is working on an assignment. We've got Glenn with us tonight, and I suspect that uh, Bill Brown may uh, come in uh, with us a little later. Now, tonight was going to be recorded. I had scheduled tonight uh to be not live. Uh, we were going to be out of town, but several things have changed that, so um, uh, I took the opportunity to come back live again. I, and I think it's real important to keep the show live. We've been on about seven and a half years now with Amateur Radio Roundtable, and I think we've only missed about three or four weeks in seven and a half years. And that's, uh, I think that's a pretty good record, and I think the more consistent we can keep live shows going, uh, the better. All right, so tonight, man, I got a couple just neat things. Um, uh, we're gonna talk about. I don't know. We're gonna talk about. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna get my uh, satellite system set up here. Uh, I've got a friend coming over tomorrow. We're gonna play with that and, and get it working. So we're gonna be doing some segments on some satellite uh, uh, stations and contacts here real soon. I got a little video tonight. Uh, I've got an experimental battery for my uh, my professional balloon guys over uh, on the West Coast. I uh, had some special LiPo batteries made to operate at cold temperatures. Um, and they do operate at cold temperatures. Um, we might be success successful running a battery on our next flight. So we're going to see, and I'm going to talk a little about that. We're going to show you a little video here where we took the temperature all the way down to a minus 60 degrees Celsius and did the, the charge test and the output of the battery test and so forth. So we're going to talk a little about the LiPo batteries. Um, we're going to talk a little tonight about three of the antenna. Several people have asked me about that. I'm still wanting to do that tree as an antenna and uh, I need some help. So uh, Walter, if you're watching, Come on down uh, one one day. Walter lives in, in a neighborhood. Come on down one day, and you can help me, Walter, to uh, put that segment together because it's going to take a couple people to do the, the connections and the testing and, and the videoing. All right, so let's see. Uh, let's see what uh, what else we're going on here. Uh, Glenn, what, what, uh, how are you doing there, man? Oh, hanging in there. You know, still busting it on the new job, so I haven't had time to come up with anything although uh, i was saying in the pre-show uh, we had a little uh, swap fest here in uh, memphis little junk in the trunk thing and i was able to get some new toys and some parts so it's kind of returning to the ham fest season so i'm looking to maybe start building some new projects once things settle out a little bit yeah well you know that's a good place to get parts and stuff and uh all these years when I go to Hamfest, I always like 
going to to the flea market area, not the new stuff, but the flea market area because man, I love building things, and uh, well, you can find a box of junk, and it may have the, the nicest part there for a new project, man. You know exactly. And there, there, you can get stuff there uh, for you know uh, twenty five cents a dollar that might cost you you know fifty dollars somewhere else if you had to order it. So it's a uh, it's a, a lot of fun uh, going around at the hemp fest and, and digging in these junk boxes. Well, this is one of the cool things that I managed to get. It's one of those little itty bitty. Oh yeah. Multi tools. Yeah. And it's got an LED light. The batteries are bad, so I've got new batteries coming. But it's actually got a little LED light to light your is work. Is that right? Area. I've got uh, four or five of those over here. I haven't even opened yet. Uh, I think they're MFJ ones. They're just like that, but they don't have the light in them. So that's kind of cool that somebody has uh, now added a light to it. Uh, next, I don't know, man. They'll probably have Bluetooth on it next. Man. Yeah. So, uh, but uh, I also got a whole bag full of the uh, miniature toggle switches for just a handful, you know, a couple bucks and... Yeah, you know, I just ordered, and, and you know, let me tell you, eBay, you can get some neat parts for nothing on eBay, too. I mean, I just oh, yeah. ordered I just ordered a dozen push little push-button switches. I've used all my little push-button switches here. And if you remember, when we did the uh, Last Man Standing special event here, uh, I, I, I built up a, a one button. Uh, you know, we press that button, and it would say, uh, you know, uh, QRZ, this is last man standing. Any, anybody uh, out there, you know? Well, you know, the uh, the radio here has, I think, 11, 10 or 11 uh, memories in it. So I've ordered me a dozen little push-button switches. I'm going to take a little box and make, you know, just fix it where all 11 uh, memories will work there. And, uh, you know, I'll put a CQ in one, a QRZ in one, and, you know, mm -hmm. things like that, you know. Um Okay, uh, okay, uh, and I'm going to try to watch the chat room. Hey, tonight the show is going to be very informal, guys, very informal. Uh, I hope to open the uh, telephone lines up maybe in about 30 or 40 minutes and just see if we can get some uh, participation from people out there and just call us and talk with Glenn and, and me and let's just talk ham radio. Uh, so uh, somebody said, Cliff says he got his KA6LMS uh, QSL card. Okay, well, that's cool. Um, VK7, any t Wayne's out there? We got somebody down in VK7 watching tonight, so that's, that's great. Hey, and we do have phone numbers in Australia and New Zealand. We've got phone numbers in 65 countries. So if you want to call in tonight and you're overseas, do this. Go to, go to my website. Uh, go to my website right there, w5kub.com. And then click on contact. And if you click on contact over on the left side, there's numbers where you can call the show. And it, it lists all the international numbers. It lists local numbers in 65 countries. So if you're out there and you want to, uh, check out the, uh, the uh, contact us at W5KUB. And I'll, I'll also put the local number for the U.S. up on the, on the uh, screen uh, in a little while when we do that. Um, what was that, Glenn? You said oh, I didn't say nothing. Okay. I would, unless okay. I was thinking out loud and saying things I shouldn't be saying. I, I think you were thinking out loud. Uh -oh. So, so hey, I started the show and I said, may the 4th be with you, but I, I didn't give the date. Today is 
Today is May the 4th. Yeah, today is May the 4th, so uh, we'll get that on record. I guess that's Cinco de Mayo, right? No, that's tomorrow. Oh, Cinco de, that's right. Cinco de Mayo will be tomorrow. Now, Glenn, do you know, you know how, how we got the name Cinco de Mayo? Yeah, there was a, uh, a large shipment of mayonnaise off the coast of uh, Panama. That's right. And hurricane came in and, and sank it. Yeah, so, yeah, that's right. And I, I, I had a, a similar story that back in the 1800s that the, the, the mayonnaise came from Spain to Mexico, and and uh, they counted on it. They liked it very much, you know, and the ship went down. The ship sunk. And um, all the Mexican people were going uh, uh, Cinco de Mayo, Cinco de Mayo, Cinco de Mayo. Exactly. And that's kind of how it got. Now, it may have been, you know, your story may have been the true one or mine. I don't know, but they're similar. It was the mayonnaise shipment that came across in a boat, and it, it did sink. So that's where uh, we got the term Cinco de Mayo. But, you know, May the 4th has always been kind of a, a special day for me because I was actually one of the one of the, the folks that got to stand in line on the 4th to see the uh, – debut of Star Wars and I actually saw it twice that day yeah uh, I saw the uh, the afternoon show and the evening show so that All was right. that was a lot of fun so look let's tonight man tonight let's let's talk about a couple things let me turn this volume down I'm a little loud here okay so um hey I want to jump into using an antenna for a tree. Now, we don't have anything set up where we, we're going to do a test, but I'm going to give you a little history on using an antenna as a tree. And uh, one of my friends, uh, Larry Shanks, WD0AKX, he tried a little experiment, I don't know, last year, using a Shoei radio, and he went out to a tree and drove some nails in it. So I've got a little video that, uh, that Larry did and uh, we're, we're going to look at that real quick, um, and and we're going to look at his results. They weren't good results, but he did. He heard about it, and he tried it. So let me see if I can bring that up. Yeah, and you're talking about using a tree as an antenna, not an antenna as a tree. That's that's right. Not to hold an antenna up, but using a tree as an antenna. So let's, let's watch uh, Larry here. Uh, Larry is the uh, – Larry – He's a ham radio guy, and he's got some uh, different videos out there. So uh, check out his uh, uh, site. But here we go. All right here. Let's see if I can get this run in here. And I've always wanted to try something. I've heard for many years you could use a tree as an antenna in an emergency type situation. But uh, I thought I'd do a little test here today. And a very unscientific and simple test. But just to get an idea here if this might work or not. So I'm going to take some four inch nails and drive them into a few trees. I'm just going to touch my telescopic whip antenna to my Sony ICF2010 shortwave receiver here. See if we get any indication on the signal strength meter of an increased signal using the tree as an added antenna to the whip here. This radio does have an external antenna input I realize. Um, that's for using long wire antennas and uh, anything longer than the whip really so you don't overload the radio but I don't think we're gonna overload it here so we're gonna just try the whip antenna 
So let's go outside and give this a try, just for the fun of it, see what kind of results we have. Kind of as a reference, I have a short piece of wire, actually about 20 feet or so, just laying on the floor in the shack here. And you can see when I touch it to the whip antenna, the signal strength does increase. So let's go outside. This tree is in my backyard. It's not in the best of shape and it's lost a lot of its leaves here for the fall season already. But we'll give it a try. I'm just going to drive a nail in towards the base and another nail up a little ways farther on the tree as a tap point. thought I would try uh, checking the resistance of the tree between my nail points with an ohmmeter just to see what it shows. Uh, showing about 6 or 7 K ohms. An actual piece of wire would show about 0 ohms or close to 0 ohms a dead short. So let's go ahead and touch the antenna to the lower nail on the tree here, watching the signal strength meter on the radio. I'm listening to station WWV. Since they broadcast on several frequencies throughout the shortwave spectrum, it makes kind of a nice test signal. I'm switching back and forth between 5, 10, and 15 megahertz here during my tests. And right now I'm not really noticing much of a difference at all. Maybe just a slight bit of difference in signal strength here. So uh, it's not looking very promising here so far, I guess. Let's move up to the upper nail here on the tree. See if that makes any difference. I know the Signal Corps at one time uh, wrote up some papers on this. That's my understanding. Um, I've never seen them, but I guess they uh, actually used this technique and did uh, some testing using trees as antennas. Well, uh, no changes there. Let's shorten the antenna on the radio here and kind of decrease the sensitivity of the radio and make the whip smaller and see if we get any changes that way. Touch the short whip to the tree connection here and um, still really no changes. The signal is just weaker altogether and the tree doesn't seem to be helping us much at all. Well, I'll move on to a much larger tree in my front yard with more leaves on the top. We'll see if that makes any difference. Did another ohmmeter reading here. Doesn't really show much uh, uh, other than to prove that the tree does have some conductivity, about 10k ohms here. Since the tree has moisture in it, it's going to conduct a little bit. Uh, you can see here it's still at that high resistance value. It still probably makes a much better insulator than a conductor. No changes here in signal strength that I can really tell. I think I'll still use my trees as antenna supports and use the wire for antennas. Try the upper nail here, same results. Well, that's the results we come up with here. Not looking very promising. Um, if you've tried this before with better results, let me know or leave a message or if you know what I might be doing wrong, something that uh, might improve it. Maybe driving a ground rod in, I don't know. I think for now I'll just stick with my wire. I have plenty of wire around, so I think I better just stick with that for now. Uh, we'll leave it at that. Thanks for watching, and uh, I hope you enjoyed this fun little experiment here. 7-3. Alright, so you can see Larry didn't really have any success with the way he tested there. There's There are a number of videos out there on uh, YouTube where people are actually making contacts using the tree uh, with different methods to connect. In fact, there's a guy out there even selling a matching device 
to match your coax to a tree and he claims uh, it will match perfectly every season. Now, I'm not sure what's in that matching device. Maybe it's a 50 ohm resistor. I have no idea, but uh, <clears throat> anyway. So, <clears throat> so there was a study done uh, on this, and th this has been going on for a long, long time. Uh, if you look back, uh, there were articles written as far back as 1919, here's a magazine from 1919, I think, that shows that they're using, uh, you know, a, a tree now. It just says trees can now talk. They're using a tree for the antenna. Now, the military did do some uh, tests uh, with this. Uh, I've got some documentation from them. Uh, here's, here it is in 1972. The military tested in 1972. And this was done in the jungles of Panama. And I think it was actually put into use and also tried in the jungles in, in Vietnam. Uh, but this, was, this test was done in uh, the jungles in Panama with various trees. And, and they had some, uh, some results here. So if you look at some of the documents that came out from the 1972 test, uh, you'll see it's well written. And... Um, You'll uh, you'll see you'll see particular notes. Uh, let me let me enlarge this a little bit so I can read this. Uh, it said that uh, uh, the field strength received from the uh, toroid by itself uh, in the air is about 15 dB lower than from the toroid coupled to the tree, which proves uh, the role of the tree as a radiating element. So what they're doing here, and I and I'll show you in a minute, they make a toroidal. Uh, transformer that couples to the tree uh, and that's one of the methods methods that they used uh, here's another um, uh, statement they found let me see what it says here it says um, okay the uh, HEMAC toroid uh, that's what they call the toroid and they did patent it uh, it's used um, Used a couple uh, to this tree was fed uh, in this case from a lab constructed single tube novice transmitter attached directly to the toroid. Uh, so uh, that's how they did it. They took just a little uh, uh, CW transmitter and attached it to a uh, the toroid around the tree. Now, um, here's one of the drawings from their uh, their uh, article. Uh, here that uh, how they coupled to the tree uh, back in the 1919s uh, they were driving nails and spikes into trees but uh, they have found that this coupling method worked pretty good now one of the things and I was talking to Martin Jew about this one of the things one of the guys you know they drive a ground rod in the ground they drive a ground rod in the ground and then they they uh, they go up a tree about seven or eight feet and put a nail and then they put a, they run a wire up to it and they, they say that they are shunt feeding the tree. Well, my personal opinion is that seven feet of wire is actually a piece of vertical wire that's that's uh, standing up there next to the tree. You know, the tree just holding it up. Also, by connecting to a ground rod, you're probably picking up some, some ground wave too. So, you know, that might make things uh, sound a little bit better. So, you know, that's one way is to run a wire up the tree and nail it like, like uh, Larry did there or like th that uh, uh, person was talking about it that I just talked about. Now, so, so uh, the, they, they figured out that the toroidal uh, 
coupling method was the best. Now, I'm talking to Martin about this. Martin is really sharp in these kind of things. And we're thinking, okay, hey, that's no more than a slinky. And you know what? You take the slinky off the tree and load it up out in the middle of the yard, you're probably going to talk to somebody on it. It's going to put some signal out. But, but they found, they found that they tested it off the tree and they tested it on the tree. And I, you can't even tell what that picture is there. But they tested it on and off the tree. But they found that with the toroid around the tree, it outperformed a whip antenna uh, by up to 20 dB. That was the government's finding. So the tree worked better than it had 20 dB of gain over a whip antenna. So that was uh, that was an interesting find there. Uh, there are graphs there that show you uh, in, your, in your documentation. There are graphs that show you the difference of the tree as an antenna versus the steel whip as the antenna. And there you can see the tree is outperforming the whip uh, right there. Uh, and here it is again. Uh, tree to tree, tree to whip, whip to tree, and whip to whip. And so they did all various uh, uh, different configurations there and they've got it all plotted out there. So. Um, that is, uh, uh, that's really interesting. Here is uh, that someone did. Now, what, what my plans are to do is to build some type of toroid coupling like this. And um, what I'll probably do, uh, are you guys familiar with this black uh, drainage pipe that, you know, you put in the ground, it's kind of got holes in it, and it's kind of perforated? maybe four inch in diameter. I'm gonna get me a chunk of that pipe and I will wrap that pipe with wire and then that way I can, I can bend that around the tree and I can lock it on that tree. And then what we'll do, we'll put an antenna coupler uh, right there on the, uh, on the toroid there to match it. Uh, and we'll, we'll, we'll uh, listen for signals. Uh, WWV like, uh, like Larry did was, was a great indicator, I think, of how it might receive. Uh, we'll try to make some contacts on it. Uh, I guess I could cheat. I could do an FT8 and probably work Europe on it, but uh, I'm not going to do that because, uh, I mean, I know people can work Europe with a light bulb in the window on FT8, so we're not going to cheat like that. So we'll test it off the tree, and we'll test it on the tree and try to show you uh, some differences there uh, on how well it works. So that, that's something I'm very interested in trying to do here soon. And uh, I think it's going to be a fun little project there. Uh, so let's see. Let me get back here. And we've had Bill. Bill Brown joined us. Hey, Bill. How you doing? Where's Bill? Bill's there. He's probably in the other room. Yeah, Bill left us. Let me, let me throw this out there, too. Since he, the guy in the first video proved that there is resistance yeah. or impedance in that path, you ought to take your antenna analyzer and hook it up to the tree as well. That's right. Because you may have to trim some branches back to prune it so it tunes right. Oh man, no, I, I don't know about that, but I understand your, I understand the concept you're talking about there, but I don't want to trim the end the trees to try to get a certain frequency. I might, it might look like a toothpick when I get through. So, <laughs> but uh, we definitely will use the antenna tuner, uh, auto tuner to, to, you know, to to get the impedance to uh, match, so we can transfer power there. Hey, uh, Bill, Bill Brown has joined us. Hey, Bill, how you doing, Bill? 
Sorry, I was outside uh, hooking at my tree up, and I was hoping for some lightning from these storms to get me a couple kilowatts of power. Well, you know, uh, it, it might can be done. Maybe you can kind of continue the segment and try to capture lightning from a tree. I understand, <laughs> and I have seen there's a lot of power in that lightning bolt when it hits a tree. If you can just somehow put that into a jar and keep it, yeah, uh, I think that would that would be cool, man. All right, well, so they I, made a movie about that. You know, Michael J. Fox was in it, I think. Yeah. The oh, yeah. DeLorean. Oh, okay. I might make a good contact, but it'll be somewhere in the future or in the past. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, uh, okay, let's see. Let me look at the chat room real quick. Uh, okay. Well, uh, you got, uh, uh, Glenn, you can help me watch the chat room, too. All right, sure. so so that was uh, that was kind of uh, you know kind of a prelude to what we want to do with our uh, our uh, tree an tree antenna segment. So that'll be coming up here in a few months. But as you can see, you know to to put that thing around a tree and I hold it and you get get video and all that. I, I kind of need to get some help here. So uh, uh, Walter Walter is retired now. The guy should have plenty of time. He lives right down the street. So I'm gonna get Walter in here. And uh, help me uh, uh, set these things up and and uh, and video it. All right. So uh, another thing we've done this week, um, I've been working on trying to get W5KB-27 ready, and we're going kind of slow. The plan keeps changing, but that's okay. So um, right now. You know, we're working with material. Now, I think Bill is going to receive some of this material uh, this week. Um, I've, I've got some material. Our, our friends out at the lab out, uh, out west have been testing it and pressurizing it, and we found that it won't hold the super pressure. So that means that it's going to stretch and pop up there. So we've got to solve that problem. And I think that problem is solved. And here is, this is in the hangar. This is in their hangar out there. They just threw together, just for measurements, uh, a 27, a 28 foot, a 28 foot using the same material that we, uh, you know, are, are going to fly. Now, what they found was, if you look at that closely, uh, every 10 inches, they have taken some glass tape and they have put a band around it every 10 inches. And once they did that, it held a tremendous amount of pressure, well beyond the pressure that we need to hold to fly at those very high altitudes. So the, the tape there, the glass tape, uh, has strengthened that material where it, it will meet the altitude pressure uh, needs. Now, I think it's, you know, it took about an hour to put that tape on. Uh, and what kind of tape is that, Tom? That is some uh, glass, um, it's, it's some type of glass filament. Each of, those, uh, each of those tapes weighs about two grams. So there's about 25, uh, 25 uh, bands there, so there's 50 grams right there. Now, also when you pressurize it, the bands hold really well, but you can also see in between the bands, it's starting to kind of expand out a little bit, you know, like ribs, you know. But but it will hold it will hold the super pressure. Now, what I'm what I've told them and what I'm working on is 
we need, I mean, hey, that's fine. It's a lot of extra work, and people don't want to go through all that trouble to do that. Plus, there's weak points, I think, between the bands. And what we want to do is try some netting. And I have ordered, and I should have this week, two different nets. One, one net with one-inch squares and one net with uh, two-and-a-half-inch squares. Now, our friends think even if we had a net that had a square hole of one foot each, that would be fine to put on there. In other words, that would probably give that balloon a lot more support even if it had a, a one-inch, I mean a one-foot square, a hole. But uh, I've ordered uh, some material. This week I'll be testing it. And uh, I've ordered the, the one-inch square and also the two-and-a-fourth-inch square holes. And uh, it should be real easy to put around the balloon. And uh, that should really, I think it should really reinforce the balloon in all areas, all the areas in between those bands, all the way around, even the ends. Uh, as we pull that uh, webbing toward the end there, it's going to also uh, support the ends. So uh, they've also ordered now some, uh, some of the webbing, and uh, we'll be also testing that. And uh, this is all done, uh, and I've learned this year uh, to use a manometer. And uh, I ordered a manometer, but they're only accurate, plus or minus two, two and a half, uh, two and a half uh, PSI. And we're dealing with PSIs here of 0.1 PSI, 0.2 PSI. So uh, what uh, I learned and I've started using is the water manometer and here's here it is right here it's just a piece of hose and we put some red coloring in it and we actually measure the the lift of water and by measuring the lift of water uh, it's very accurate to uh, measure the pressure the internal or the differential pressure of the balloon so um, and if you guys remember when we built a uh, uh, fat boy our problem with Fat Boy was it kept stretching. I could never get enough pressure, meaning that it was going to keep expanding and stretching and expanding until it just got so thin it would pop. And uh, so I could never get the pressure up uh, to the point where we needed to get it. So, so the new material, plus I think the netting is going to be something that's really going to uh, maybe work out really well for us. So, that balloon there is that's not for flying. I think this is for testing. It's 28 feet long, and uh, this material is uh, 10 feet in circumference. And uh, you uh, you just get what you need. You want a 28 foot piece, you cut it. You want a 50 foot piece, you cut it 50 foot long. Now, and Bill taught me this, and I kept asking these questions. You know, okay, I've got a 10 foot balloon, and it flies at say 38,000 feet. What happens if I make it 20 foot long? Well, it flies at 38,000 feet. What if I make it 50 feet long? Well, it flies at 38,000 feet. It's because each time you lengthen it, you're adding the weight to it, and it just it just won't do it. So um, that's one of the issues that we're trying to overcome, and that's caused by the diameter of the balloon. That, the diameter of that balloon here is about uh, 3.1 feet in diameter. Uh, my plans are... My plans are, that's a, it's a 10-foot circumference. My plans are after this next flight to um, 
put some of this material together uh, and have a 20 foot circumference, kind of like Big Boy, kind of like Big Boy, but we will reinforce it where it won't stretch. And hey, Tom, uh, yeah, I sent, you, I sent you a link on the uh, ULDB project that uh, NASA did uh -huh. uh, where they use the load tapes. Uh, it's called a pumpkin. So yeah. the balloon material stretches out into between the tapes. Right. And uh, you can see it. Uh, if you take a look, there's a picture of it on that link I just put in your chat and the Zoom chat. Okay. Uh, uh, let's see. I might be able to pull it up. It's called yeah, ultra long duration be. balloon, and it's super pressure for. Of course, it's a very large balloon yeah. that they do. Let me see if I can do this. I've never done this before. I'm gonna bring up this link. I may not be able to pull you back in. Okay, here we go. Uh, here we go. Okay, so I've got it there. There it yeah, is. And there it is, right there. So uh, that's interesting, and uh, yeah, uh, some other people were also uh, discussing with me the the uh, pumpkin uh, type uh, deal there. But that is interesting, and they use the tape to uh, to do that. And the, the like I say, the material bulges out in between the tapes. Yep. Like you said, uh, was happening with that the cylinder balloon you're just showing. Yeah. Uh, so okay, they, now they've Bill. Been doing this for some time. Bill, I, I, now we have a problem. How do I, how do I get back to you? How do I? Uh, there, there is another problem here, Tom, and that is the amount of hydrogen it's going to take to fill that thing. Well, uh, well, don't let it you fool can, you because you when it leaves here, it's pretty empty. Yeah, you could have a Hindenburg event. Yeah. All right. Don't, so don't coat it with nitrocellulose. Yes. All right, hey guys, we we have a serious problem. Anybody in the chat room know how to go from from the link and zoom back to the video? I'll uh, see. Maybe if I click right here, maybe this will do it. Uh, I, I figured. I think I figured it out. I think I did. I think I did. Um, not sure if that's what. Well, you're... I'm I'm getting there. I'm 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 about to get there. Let's see what happens if I click that. Close. Uh, there we go. Okay, all right, I got it. Okay, so, so, um, so we kind of got into a balloon segment here and tell people what we were thinking about doing. And uh, I see people talking about this cylinder, cylinder type balloon, and you know it's real difficult to make a sphere, a, a ball. Uh, it's real easy to make a cylinder type. The the ball configuration would actually probably it will go higher but that's just out of our reach right now it would to, be the more most efficient for yeah. uh, weight weight and payload right. uh, actually a teardrop shape is uh, an excellent design too yeah well so, you know yeah and bill you know um when i was talking about the uh this balloon it, that a 20 foot won't go any higher than a 10 a 30 foot won't go any higher the thing is, though, it will lift. It will lift a heavier load. It will lift a lot heavier load. And and we have found, uh, you know, I, I used to here try to keep the the payloads as light as possible. You know, 10 grams, 11, 12 grams. Uh, on these balloons, Bill, I'm not concerned about it. If these suckers come in at 30 grams, it don't make me any difference, man. 
And, we uh, might try a scale model, <laughs> if possible, uh, with the uh, band tapes and the net, and just do a scale model of it and see how it performs. Uh, you know, a step above about the size of what uh, those SBF-13 balloons are or about yeah. the size of, of a large, just a little larger than the party balloons, the 36-inch party balloons. Well, I would, have to, I, I, would, I would have to understand what that means and somehow accurately compare the scale, and I don't know if I could do that. Um, well, just scale it down to a smaller balloon for your yeah. first test flights just to see if that oh you mean you mean a test flight i thought you meant like for measuring pressure and so forth no no i mean yeah. to actually send it aloft uh with yeah. a small payload uh yeah. obviously uh your payloads are pretty lightweight so if yeah. it's a roughly the size of one of those sbs 13 balloons um and you put a net over it that it doesn't have to be the mother of all balloons like you had before oh yeah yeah so so we're talking balloons here and we're talking um we we're slowing things down you know i was i'm ready to launch this week but we're not going to be able to uh um bill you still have an assignment you still got to work on the voltage work on yeah the, work I, on the i'm going to try and do that uh tomorrow and the next day I'll and, be back in my lab. and i have added i have added the experimental battery on here that battery that, uh, work well i put i i did a, i've got a test here i'm gonna show a video I think you showed it last week. Uh, did you show a little test of that last week? Uh, no, I didn't. But I've got okay. it here, and we're going to show it, and I'll go through it pretty fast. Uh, you know, a, a typical LiPo battery at about a minus 20, it just stops working. That's, the t that's right. what we found. It just stops. This battery was putting power out, a substantial amount of power out, to minus 58. What so, kind of current levels were you getting? It of? was I was I was pulling a forty mils, the current that the the tracker would do. So, so you know, at about sixty, it starts flaking out. But but that was that was interesting. Now, uh, so the the output of the battery came in around fifty eight sixty minus fifty eight or sixty. That's good. Now, charge. That's a different story. Your typical LiPo won't charge below about zero Celsius. It just won't do it. And that's what we found, I think, when we did our test on, on the, the regular LiPos before. This one actually started taking a charge about a minus 25. So that was an improvement. By the time well, we got... During the daytime... Yeah. Um, Particularly if you paint the black battery black or coat it with a black uh, tape or something, yeah, it uh, it should work just fine. So, so I'm thinking that this has got real possibilities, and I'm thinking, okay, we're obviously not going to be charging it during the night, right? Right. So I'm thinking, okay, so we're going to run the battery on this one, and here's the again, I'm going with the 45 degree 45 to try to get uh, sun, sunrise to sunset, I don't know. But I've also put the battery on the very top. Oh, there you go. Right there, and I painted it black. And uh, I've tried it out in the sun here, Bill, and with my seven cells, I don't get enough voltage to charge a battery more than about 
3.7. I need more voltage. So I just extended this end right here. I'm going to add another solar cell on each side where I can get another six tenths of a volt. And maybe I can bring that, uh, maybe I can bring that voltage up a little bit more, you know, 3.8, maybe 3.9. So you're right that I think during the daytime, the sun is going to heat that up enough that uh, it will charge. And, um, and since it works almost to minus 60 in the dark, it will discharge during the night and back the next day should warm up and charge again. So I'm adding uh, I'm adding another cell to get a little bit more voltage there. So when light test we did when we were floating around 27, 28,000 feet on the small party balloons <clears throat> with the, the regular LiPo batteries that like they don't like it below about 20 or 30 below. They uh, we would get about five to six hours after sunset with those. But mm -hmm. flying at the higher altitudes at 45,000 feet or so, 40 to 45,000, uh, they would last maybe an hour and a half after sunset. They, they right. die out very quickly at that temperature. So Right, right. Uh, that's just stock little LiPo batteries, even the ones that, that sometimes are advertised as uh, cold, uh, working in cold temperatures, but they really don't. So I don't know what the difference is in these. These were special made. And they, they make special cold yeah. temperature LiPo batteries, but finding them is the tough thing because sometimes they advertise them, but they really don't work yeah. well. But it sounds like they've uh, found a good batch. So uh, yeah, it's encouraging. Uh, this it looks like some good improvement on these that I've got here. So we're going to try it, and it would be really good for us to know what's going on at nighttime. Because that's when things go bad during the flight. Yeah, and uh, what uh, what I found, uh, we've had. I remember I talked about the Equinox uh, launch on March twentieth, twenty first of this year. We launched fourteen uh, balloons on mm -hmm. the SBS thirteens, and uh, two of them are still flying. And one of them was launched at midnight mm -hmm. to avoid the solar heating during the ascent stage. And it's working great, and it's uh, it basically has been around the world. It will have been around the world three times as soon as it crosses Atlanta, Georgia again. That was launched by Audrey and Jack McElroy, KM4ZIA and KM4BUN, and it's currently over Alaska. And I should check because it's still daylight up there. They're above the Arctic Circle or getting very close to the Arctic Circle right now. Yeah. So I'm going to have to check to see if it's still transmitting. Uh, but uh, they're they're going way up towards the North Pole right right now, taking a little detour. Uh, but it has been aloft for uh, well since March 21st, and so that's uh, and been around the world, and it's floating right around 40. 4,000 feet or so, and then we have another one that's uh, over Norway that's been up for 45 days, and uh, it's also flying in that 43 to 44,000 foot range. So uh, it's uh, once you get up in that range, uh, your chances of staying up for a couple of months or more is greatly increased. Uh, we have one that's been aloft. Uh, that one's using helium, and it's not particularly super high, but it's it's around 42,000 feet. It's been around the world seven times, 
and it's been aloft for uh, 90 days, and it was launched by a school in uh, New Jersey. So um, they have a lot of interesting, once you get up into that range, uh, right around 13,000 meters and above, uh, you're greatly increasing your chances. But if you were to go to, say, 15,000 meters even, and, you know, yeah. just another 2,000 meters, I believe uh, you would be in the range of staying up for possibly a year at that well, altitude. Just another couple. That's why I'm saying if you just increase the size from the 7.5 foot that the uh, SBS-13 yeah. is and just extend that out a little bit, um, you could get up into that uh, 14,000 to 15,000 meter range and uh, greatly increase your chances of staying up for a very long time. I think the numbers show on this one, and that's, that's what, we're, what we're doing, I, I think the numbers show that we should float somewhere around 54 to 58,000, somewhere in that range. And that would be a beautiful place to fly, although it would take you a long time to go around the world. Um, yeah. But it would be interesting because it would be a very slow ride around the world so people would be able to hear it uh for long periods of time as it's slow that goes across their region so yeah it's got some yeah. pluses and minuses uh, as far as going around the world quickly uh that's you're getting up into the range where it starts getting slow but uh, it also is getting in a range where you're going to avoid 99.999% of the storms. Right, and that's what we want to do. We want to break that ceiling at 44,000. I want to go higher, man. We've flown 44,000 too many times. I want to go higher now. Higher. Once you get into the actual stratosphere, yeah. uh, then the storms are not going to go that high. That's where they'll top right. out. Right, right. Even hey. in the tropics. So look, I've got a little video here I, I put together on, on the little quick battery test that we did. It's not totally scientific, but you can kind of see what we did. This is what we did this week to test these new uh, experimental LiPo batteries. I'm going to run that, and uh, I, I had to actually turn a fan. I was getting hot in here in the, uh, in the studio, and I'm going to get me a bottle of water. while so I'll be right back, but uh, I want you guys to, to um, kind of see what we did with the batteries here. So let me... Let me see if I can pull it up here. Are you going to have supercapacitors with this as yeah, well? Yeah, it, it'll have supercapacitors on it plus the battery. Now, Bill, correct me if I'm wrong, but shouldn't the batteries basically trickle charge the supercaps even if they're darn near depleted? Well, I don't know if you would want a supercap on it because the battery is going to act the same, well, do the same thing it, as the supercap. It super will. Cap. It it will if the battery works, but our oh. previous test our previous test showed the battery went open, like it was not there. And if it's not there, it can't. Act well, that's better than it shorting. Well, yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. It is. Yeah, it is. So uh, here's here's the video, uh, a little test we did here. I'm gonna go get some water and uh, I'm gonna play this. Here we go. Testing on a uh, experimental lipo battery. My. Uh, my uh, balloon professional balloon friends uh, sent me a couple uh, test batteries, and these batteries were specially made to work at the low temperatures. Typically, a LiPo <clears throat> rechargeable battery uh, will not charge below uh, 32 degrees Fahrenheit or zero degrees Celsius. And uh, also, a LiPo battery typically at about minus 20 Celsius 
stops working. And we uh, fly in temperatures of minus 40, minus 40, minus 45. So we've never had a battery that would work up there. So we're going to do a little test here and uh, measure the battery, the current, and the voltage uh, at various temperatures. And we're going to try to take the battery uh, temperature down to about a minus 40 and see how it, how it works. So what we've got here is the uh, experimental battery uh, here that we're going to we're going to um, do some testing on and this little lead right here comes out and basically it's like a thermocouple and it's hooked to a fluke meter uh, to measure temperature so right now uh, room temperature is 25 degrees Celsius we're also going to measure the battery voltage here we're going to measure the temperature and we'll measure the current or the milliamps that's coming out of this. So we're going to do two tests. One test will be uh, to see uh, how cold and if the battery will still uh, perform and put out current. And then we will turn around we'll do a second test, which is at what temperature will the battery charge. So um, let me put some, we're going to put some dry ice in here. This is a little uh, box we built up, uh, very insulated. We're gonna put some dry ice in there, and we're gonna we're gonna seal the box up, and we're gonna bring that temperature gradually down to about a minus 40. So let me get some uh, ice out, and we'll see what we can do here. So we have a chunk of dry ice here, and it's cold. Uh, we're gonna lay a piece of cardboard over the battery, just so the uh, ice won't be touching it directly. Let's just see what this will do. We're going to put some ice in there. And we're going to cover cover the top. Let's watch the temperature uh, as it goes down. So, okay, we've got it working. So, basically, I've just got a uh, resistor um, as our load. And this, uh, this resistor is pulling about 36 milliamps. That's about what our super tracker will pull. So let's see, I'm going to try to write some numbers down if I can keep up with it. Our temperature is already down to 12 degrees. So we're at, I'm going to put voltage uh, 3.73 tip. Let's see, I'll put current. And I'll put uh, uh, tip. And we'll go from there. So, so, uh, we're at, we're at uh, 8.9 temp, and we were at 36 milliamps. I'll get this straight in a minute. So, so we're gradually going down. We're down to, see if I can get a little weight on top of this. Maybe it'll help hold that right there. So we're gradually going down. We're at... Uh, uh, Looks like the temp is uh, 5.2 degrees Celsius. Now we're at 4.9. Uh, charge rate is still good at 36 milliamps. So that's going to be our reference. Uh, that 36 milliamps is going to be our reference. That's about what the tracker pulls. And the uh, LiPo battery typically puts out about 3.7 volts. So we're still coming down in temperature. 
So I'm going to make a note here, 3.71 at uh, 1 degree Celsius, and we're still running 36 milliamps. I was having a little trouble getting dry ice today. I think they're using it mostly for the COVID, so uh, uh, I didn't have a very good supply for, uh, of the uh, dry ice today. So I'm going to fast forward this a little degrees, bit. Uh, Celsius, that is freezing, that's 32 degrees. 9 milliamps and 9.5 we'll minus 9.5. I'll fast forward some. All right, our. So we're at a minus 30. Down on our uh, voltage. I mean, our. Uh, here's a minus 30. So at a minus 30, we still have good uh, current, 31 milliamps uh, at 3.2. I'm going to try to speed this up a little bit more. Uh, I'm afraid our. Yeah, I'm afraid our um, that's actually kind of impressive. Do you get your dry ice at Kroger? Yeah. Okay, oh man, we're down too. We're going down fast. Uh, minus 45. Minus 45, and we were at still 31, 31 uh, milliamps. Minus 45, 3.1. We're at a minus 54 Celsius. And we're at about 30 milliamps. That's pretty impressive. 3.16 volts. I really didn't want to go this fast, but uh, I think I'm going to lose my um, dries. Yeah, it looks like your voltage so is dropping. So we're at uh, minus. Yeah, the battery wasn't fully charged when I minus, did this. Uh, almost minus 60. I'm going to put minus. We'll be there in a minute. We're at minus 62. We'll do that in just a second. Okay, so we're uh, in charge mode right now. I reconfigured and we've got a, we've got a lab power supply on here. Uh, we're running about 3.5 volts. We're at minus 62 degrees Celsius. And we're only getting in um, about 1 milliamp. So this is a charge test. Milliamp. We're at a minus 50, and there's a one milliamp. That's that's not good. Temperature is not coming up very fast. Of course, we bring it up real fast, it'll be hard to capture the uh, true number. So this would be a good test to let it come up slowly. But at a minus 45, we just are not charging. It, the battery is only taking 2 milliamps. A little bit, raise the temperature a little bit. 
zero uh, Fahrenheit. That's actually impressive, though. That the 32 Fahrenheit, that. which is uh, zero uh, Celsius. So it's starting to charge. It looks like it's wanting to charge a little bit here, uh, actually. So this has some possibilities. It has some possibilities. We're getting up into charge rate now. Look, we're getting up into uh, at uh, minus uh, 22.6. We're actually charging at about 20 milliamps. So at a minus 20, at a minus 20, we're making some progress here. Typically, uh, the light bulbs will not work until zero. So this at least will charge at minus 20. And of course, we'll be in the sunlight up there. Maybe we can get some heat from the sunlight and uh, maybe our temperatures won't be uh, too far uh, from uh, minus uh, 20. This battery may in fact work. It may, it may, it may have some usefulness up there. All right, that's enough of that one. So <clears throat> you can see kind of the temperatures where that battery was working and didn't want to work. Um, but you know, there is with the sunlight up here, and our friend uh, uh, Edward from Romania is flying one right now, and uh, he has temperature on his temperature sensor. He's reading uh, upwards to 12, 12 degrees or minus 8 degrees, I mean, uh, at times, and uh, that's, the, that's the temperature of the circuit board, the printed circuit board there, because it's getting some heating from the sun. So I think with a black, uh, with a black uh, battery on there, I think this thing has a good chance to, uh, to go. And uh, because of that, Bill, I uh, decided to put another cell on there and try to get a little bit more a little bit more charge voltage during the day. Uh, I was a little weak on charge, which meant that it might only add, you know, an hour or so a day. But uh, I'm going to try to get a lot more charge into it, and we'll see what it does. Well, what do you think about it, Bill? Well, it might actually get too hot. Um, my flights uh, recently are showing at that altitude about uh, ranging anywhere from. Uh, zero to minus 25 during the day it varies depending on which side of the circuit board's pointing towards the sun so yeah. uh, sometimes it's uh minus 10. i think on average it's right around minus 10 is where the board tends to be when it's about minus 50 outside with the sun beating on it so uh, i think you'd be in the range where that battery's going to charge up just fine so it's a 300 milliamp uh, hour battery uh, it's a what now? It's what? 300 milliamp hour? Yeah, it's a 300 milliamp, so 40 into that, it, it should, I mean, at, It'll ground, take a few at hours ground level. It'll charge, but uh, that'd be yeah. fine. At ground level, it already run about seven and a half hours, but now, depending on temperature, I have no idea. It's going to be somewhat, you know, less efficient, I'm sure. Well, you probably get uh, a few, um, five or six hours after sunset, I would think, maybe, uh even if you get three or four hours after sunset, that would be uh, useful. Yeah, and you know, with this new balloon material, 
what happened what happens is the unknown at nighttime we don't know if we've got enough free right. lift to keep it up or what i mean if we can watch it during the night we might learn something absolutely um during that crucial ascent stage before it hits float altitude uh, I would like to see a comparison of a night flight during uh, what the ascent rate is, because what tends to happen during the daytime is that you get some solar heating and your ascent rate starts to increase as you get higher, and sometimes it goes a little too fast, and uh, particularly during the peak of the day. So uh, I'd like to get some temperature readings during the night of that ascent, crucial ascent stage. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, hey, guys, stand by just a second. We'll be right back in just a minute. The great outdoors are calling. Get outside and under the stars with one of ICOM's ultimate SDR transceivers. The IC705 is a perfect transceiver for hams who enjoy both the great indoors and the outdoors. It's a perfect QRP companion. The base station has features and functionality at the tip of your fingers and a portable package. And it covers HF 6 meters, 2 meters, and 70 centimeters. And guess what? It weighs in at just under 2 pounds. It has a 4.3 inch touchscreen, and it's got a live band scope and waterfall. It'll run 5 watts with a BP272 or 10 watts on 13.8 volts DC. It runs all modes, including D-Star. The speaker microphone comes standard. The perfect accessory for the 705 is the LC192 backpack. It has a special compartment for your IC705 and room for all your accessories. Create your own band opening with the IC9700. This transceiver radio brings direct sampling to the UHF-VHF weak signal world. This all-mode transceiver is loaded with innovative features that are just sure to keep you busy. It has a 4.3-inch color touchscreen and spectrum scope and waterfall. It has smooth satellite operation with 99 satellite channels. And it's full duplex operation in satellite mode. Heard it, worked it, and logged it with ICOM 7300. It's a high-performance, innovative HF transceiver with a compact design that will far exceed your expectations. This innovative HF transistor digitizes the RF before various receiver stages to reduce the generated inherent noise in different IF stages. The IC7300 is the radio that changed the way of entry-level HF. Visit www.icomamerica.amateur for more information on ICOM radios. LDG Electronics provides state-of-the-art antenna tuners for every amateur need. From QRP to QRO, fixed stations, portable and remote, an LDG tuner will match your radio to your antenna using our lightning-fast, proprietary tuning algorithms. LDG is a family-owned and operated company dedicated to bringing innovative, quality products to the amateur market. All LDG products carry a full two-year warranty that is fully transferable. Support is only a phone call or email away. We're always here to help you. Visit us on the web at ldgelectronics.com. All right, and we are back. And uh, got some fun things going on. I'm, uh, I'm excited. I'm excited about getting a net in here. You know... Um, it's just a lot of fun, Bill, uh, taking the manometer, you know, the water manometer and watching and the pressure and playing with that. I mean, that's kind of fun. 
So now, I, I don't think I don't think the next balloon we put together out in the, out in the uh, the garage, it's not going to get as big. We never reached pressure with it; it kept growing and growing. So I think on this one, once we get the net on it, we're going to reach pressure, and it's going to be uh, a lot smaller. Now, um, on this, are we still within the FAA limits on this? Is that strictly a weight limit, not necessarily a size limit? We have to ask the expert. That's Glenn. I mean, that's, uh, that's Bill. No, I'm not the expert. No, Bill's the expert. Yeah, where, where Bill left us. Oh well. Yeah, he had to go get himself something to drink. Probably there he is. Oh okay. I the, think we're uh, I think we're okay. Yeah, you should be fine. I mean the uh, the big weather balloons they can get thirty feet in diameter when they're at altitude. Yeah. But some countries some countries uh, do have a limit, like Great Britain, for example. Yeah. Uh, that's why the. Uh, scientific balloon solutions sell an SBS 12 which is the size limit for uh, for balloons in that country we will try to go around that country <laughs> so you need to make it past the stands yeah yeah you know I was gonna run I was gonna run the 100 watt 100 milliwatt uh, PA again on this one but I didn't I'd want like to do to see I 100 watts. That would yeah, <laughs> that would be impressive. I, I, I tell you, I think we I, I think we could do 100 watts. Today. I really think we could with, with with this with. I think it would carry the payload. But uh, I wanted to run it, but I didn't want to mix too many things in here that could go wrong. Uh, the worst thing we could do is have the PA go out, and then this balloon fly another year, and we not know it. So. You know, I'm trying to keep it simple and uh, and and uh, reduce you know reduce risk where we can. Uh, and the battery will help us, I think, gain a lot of information. Tom, how much does the average weather balloon weigh, and how much do you anticipate this new one weighing? Now, the average weather balloon weighs well. It depends on the size of it, but. The ones that they use for the Weather Bureau, they weigh between 600 to 1,500 grams, and there's 453 grams at a pound, so they're pretty heavy. Yeah. Now, how much does Tom's balloons typically weigh versus what we're Well, this one, this, this one is going to weigh in probably at about uh, 400 and something grams. It may be a little. It may be a little heavier too. Uh, the netting I'm looking at is hard to know what the weight of the netting is. Um, uh, I was able to get the shipment weight, and I know the shipment weight is going to be more than just the net weight. And I, it's looking like the sh the, the net weight is going to come out equal to maybe what their tape was. So I felt okay about it. We got a lot of uh, flexibility as far as leeway here. I mean, this balloon can carry some weight. I mean, uh, I think the uh, I, th I think the uh, the Fat Boy we launched here uh, last this last month. I think we were up somewhere around 1,300 grams on it. Yeah, I mean, it was, and the SBS 13s they've been traditionally what 18 to 20 something grams. No, they're 109. Okay. Yeah. That's right. It was something grams of lift that mm -hmm. you were looking mm -hmm. for. 
Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's. Uh, let me. Hey, I'm gonna bring. Uh, I'm gonna try to open the phone lines up. We've got 45 more minutes, and uh, guys, we've got 45 more minutes here, and that's because we are on shortwave, and we have a two-hour show on international shortwave on WBCQ. And if you're out there listening on WBCQ on 7490 kilohertz, send us an email to Tom at W5KUB.com and tell us where in the world you are. We'd like to hear from you. Send us a signal report. Tell us where you are. And uh, if you want to join us live on Tuesday nights, just go to YouTube.com slash W5KUB and you can join the show live there. Um, We're going to open the phone lines up. And uh, we'll take some calls. And we, and we don't have to. Chat room, um, we can talk about any, to, anything. What was yeah. And everybody in the chat room, tonight was supposed to be a replay. So we're kind of making this up as we go. And we apologize we don't have anything other than balloon stuff planned. You know, that was not the intent. But we figured this would be better than letting you have a replay. Well, we, I had a replay uh, program to run. And it was back in December, but uh, it's uh, Katie's on there talking about all the Christmas presents she's getting and making. So that might not have been a good rerun tonight. So uh, again, we thought we would um, uh, try to get in here and have a show. And uh, sometimes, sometimes just the open mic night uh, turns out to be a pretty good show. Um, well, if you ever need a month off, you can take that three-hour live Arduino, what I did way back when, and chop it up into yeah. two-hour segments. Yeah, we'll do that. All right, I'm trying to kick the phone system here to get it going. I don't know why it's not going. We can take 1,000 simultaneous phone calls, guys. I've never had more than about three or four at a time, but we can take 1,000. All right. I just can't even conceive a system that can take a thousand calls. Let me try again. I may have opened it five times. I don't know. <laughs> I guess that means we might take five thousand calls. It's interesting. Our phone system is not opening. Let me see what's going on. We have a system that's capable of taking a thousand calls, but yeah. we're not going to let any of you talk to us, so we're just going to pretend. When it works. It's kind of like, we'll take the fifth caller. Yeah. I don't even know what it's called. It's interesting. Okay. Yeah, there you go. We'll just call your cell phone. Yeah, I don't have any way to put it into. Let's see if I can open it this way. Well, we may not have. Let's see. Open. Let me see if I can run as administrator. Maybe that'll work. Denny, let me tell you something. I get at least three of those spam calls a day now. Yeah. You know, it's like, 
I have car insurance, and my cars are so old I really don't need it. I get those calls all the time. You are the only participant in the conference. All right. I'm in. Let me put the phone number up. Yep, there it works. We have the music. Yeah. We have got to find a way to change that. Phone lines. There's the phone lines right there. Hey, guys, if you want to call us, call us at 712-775-7270. And you'll have to put in the code 407051, pound sign, or it's not a hashtag. You know, when I grew up, it was a pound sign. What is it, Glenn? I grew up with it being a pound sign. This hashtag stuff is all new to me. Yeah, yeah. That music sounds like good elevator music. Well, it's not even good elevator music, man. (laughs) Let me tell you something. I was at the dentist a few months ago. I was going to say a doctor's office. And their music is, their office elevator music is the stuff that we listen to as rock. Yeah. I I mean, you have not lived until you've heard Pat Benatar converted into uh, (laughs) Dennis office music or, uh, oh wow, the Go-Go's. They actually did the Go-Go's in elevator music. All right, I think we have a caller. Uh, who Who's on the line? Good evening, Tom. KG0BK, Russ in Iowa. Hey, Russ, how you doing, man? Well, really good. And uh, watching you earlier was the tree saying, in fact, watched some shows earlier about the trees. And that I've got to, I've got a little story that I have to tell you about the trees. Uh, take about two minutes, if you don't mind. Sure. Okay. Well, uh, when I moved to a different place, I had a nice antenna system set up. Moved to a different place, like you always do. And there was two trees that were just about uh, perfect for a 40-meter dipole. And so we went up and and uh, at that time, didn't have any insulators or anything except for the center of the dipole. And so I just kind of wrapped them around the limbs and then brought them back on themselves and kind of soldered them mm-hmm. in place. And got pretty close. Close enough to work with uh, the OHW 101 we were using at the time. Oh, yeah. And uh, got in with a bunch of uh, guys, well, a bunch, uh, three or four of us. There was a guy in, uh, in Kansas, the guy in... Colorado, one in uh, Arizona, and there was somebody else, and then me. Anyway, we get on there early in the morning on 40 meters and and, uh, talk for about an hour or so just about this, that, and whatever. And uh, normally two guys, and depending on the propagation, two guys could hear me, and I could hear about two guys. Mm-hmm. And uh, once in a while, third one would come in. Well, as, as it went on, uh, my SWS started changing. I went out and looked up at the antenna, which was about 30 foot in the air, and I couldn't really see anything changed there. Uh, so I, I uh, used a home blue tuner and tuned it back in, and it was fine. But the guy said my S meter, their S meter readings on me were coming up. I was putting out a better signal. 
And I go, you know what? I'm seeing even a little bit better signal too. Must be the propagation. And it kept getting better and better and better. And uh, then it got real bad, and I had to change to a four-to-one balance to make it work again. And I thought, what is going on? I still don't see anything. Well, we finally spotted it. As the branches would move on the one tree, it was cutting into the bark on the tree and got down into the sap of the tree and was kind of cutting itself through the tree, just on the one side. Hmm. The other side was, was still fine. And as that was happening, it was changing the length of the antenna or making the tree maybe in it to an antenna. And it, the signal just kept getting better and better and better. And then it was terrible in winter. And then yeah. by next spring, we decided to move, so I don't know how it was going to work after that. But uh, just kind of wondered if that tree didn't do something. I think it went from a half-wave dipole to a half-wave off-center-fed dipole by using the two trees and cutting into one, so to speak. Well, I, I think that proves that uh, the trees work better when, they're, when they have sap and are growing instead of in the winter when they're dormant. So. You know, we've been wanting to do this project, but it's been winter time. But uh, the trees are starting to come out. I just don't want to kill one of my trees. You know. Yeah. Well, we just had one wrapped around it. You normally have a, a cord wrapped around it and then an insulator. Mm -hmm. Well, we didn't have all that, so we just wrapped the wire around it and then uh, tied it together. And that yeah. it was a heavy limb should should work, but <clears> it was enough to cut into the tree. And the more it cut into the tree. Yes, WR changed, but the better the signal got. Both receive and send. So, yeah, go figure. Just had to share that story. All right, that's cool. Cool, Russ. Hey, we got another caller on here from Dayton, Ohio. How you doing, Dayton? All righty, this is your good friend, Cliff, K-A-8-G-O-V. How you guys doing tonight? K-A-8-G-O-V. That's Chris, right? Cliff. That's in Clifford. Oh, Clifford, yeah. Hey, Cliff. How you doing, yeah. man? Oh, I'm doing pretty good. I just want to let you know that when you guys are still in the KA6LMS station, I watched you on YouTube there and, and everything. And I, I talked to the group from Georgia on G-Star. And, uh -huh. uh, and I got my card the other day, and, and that was pretty neat to get that and, and everything. It's on my QSL wall and... Uh, and everything like that. So that's pretty neat to get a card like that, you know, and yeah. I'm pretty happy about that. Yeah. And everything. I got a question for you. Maybe you guys might, since you're talking about balloons and stuff, I'm kind of curious. Um, you, you, have, you guys watch the Indianapolis 500. I'm pretty sure you guys see sure. the Indy 500. You know, the balloons that they shoot off there uh, uh, during the opening ceremonies, how far does those balloons go? Yeah, I don't know. Would you I have any that. idea, Bill? Yeah, you mean just the regular uh, party, balloon? party balloons that they let go? Uh, they'll go up about 10,000 feet, and then they pop and come down. Um, I sent up one oh. just for the kid, though, that were 28 party balloons. And uh, <clears throat> I sent up a little card with, yeah, if you see this, please return it. And it went 300 miles. Because some of the balloons popped, wow. others just equalized, so it, it stayed up. It went quite a quite a distance, and I sent one up like that that went 400 miles. I got a reply back from Canada, so 
it all depends, but generally they will go about 10,000 feet because I actually put uh, a little t uh, little transmitter on on a bunch of party balloons and they went up about 10,000 feet, a couple of them popped and it landed about 10 miles away and we went out and got it. Hey, hey, Bill, I, I don't know if you saw this or not. There was some city up in north, I don't know, Cleveland or Pittsburgh. Oh, uh, Cleveland, uh, they launched one million. Yeah, that's uh, it. The one million. Once, the one million. Uh, they were going to break the record, break the record. One million balloons, and it turned out to be a disaster. It was a complete disaster. And yeah. uh, I think uh, uh, it caused a boating disaster because they're all over the lake. And there were two people that had capsized their boat, and the Coast Guard couldn't find them because all the balloons floating on the lake looked like people. So the, yeah, the, uh, they couldn't the, the find city, the people uh, that were treading water wanting to be rescued. So and some, it created an aviation hazard too with all that. Somehow but, the weather uh, pattern or something caused every one of those million balloons to all come down to the ground. They were all over the streets, all over the river. Everywhere. You couldn't even walk without stepping on a balloon. They had to clean all that up. Man. I'll have to find the video mm -hmm. of that because it was pretty pretty amazing. But the lake was littered with those balloons. Just yeah. Really yeah. littered. Oh, man. Okay, well, I'm going I'm to let you go, and you guys have a good day there. And we'll talk with you later. All right, Cliff. Thanks for calling. Thanks, Cliff. You know, let's get back to that tree thing for a minute. I'm wondering now uh, that we're talking about things like the sap, maybe we ought to try it with a maple tree both in the fall and in the spring and compare the difference in the internal resistance of the tree as to whether the sap's rising or not. Well, I'm sure that all that would cause different results. You know, that's just... When I lived in uh, New Hampshire, when I was uh, editor of 73 magazine, um, I had 17 acres of uh, maple trees and my neighbor would tap them. And uh, at the end of the season, I would end up with, uh, he would give me five gallons of maple syrup. And it took 55 gallons of, of sap to create that five gallons of syrup. It was like 10 to one the ratio, hmm. uh, but oh, it was good. But that would have been, that's exactly <clears throat> what these uh, three, the papers I read that Tom uh, sent me about using trees as antennas. Um, the key was to get the, the nail or the copper into the tree far enough to hit the sap uh, vein and that's that's how they um, increase the efficiency of using a tree uh, for an antenna. You have to, and it probably varies from the time of year when the sap's running and when it isn't. It's a really interesting concept. So, uh, well, we're going to try the inductive coupling with the toroidal coil around the tree. Wouldn't that act just like a, a circular slinky antenna? Well, at that that's point? that's what that's what I mentioned to uh, to Martin. But what we'll do, we'll uh, we'll do a test with it off the tree, and then we'll do a test with it on the tree and try to make some comparisons. Oh, well, there you go. Uh, yeah. Have a control. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and um, you know, I mean, it was interesting findings. The government found almost a twenty dB gain in the tree over a, a, a whip antenna. Interesting. Uh, 
there was an antenna that I read about years ago where it was like uh, a giant ladder line. It was two wires uh, paralleled together <clears throat> with uh, cross pieces. It looked like a ladder, and they just laid it flat on the ground. And apparently it worked pretty well, but uh, I just wondered if you ever heard of that antenna. No, but an antenna will work laying on the ground. We've done that with the whisper balloons. Uh, we had one out in the desert, and it was being heard a thousand miles in both directions. <clears throat> and when the guy found it, the antenna wires were flat on the sand in the desert. And it was only running 20 milliwatts, so it, it's yeah. amazing how well it will work. You just get an antenna wire a few feet off the ground, and it's gonna gonna radiate pretty well. Those beverage receive antennas, mm -hmm. uh, they typically only put those about three feet above the ground. Right. Uh, my right. friend in uh, New Zealand who uh, has done a number of these, one of which was like 2,000 feet long, mm -hmm. he gets these non-conductive uh, stake posts that have a little foothold on them so you can drive them into the ground and uh, they're used for setting up an electric fence real quick. Yeah. So they're like a fiberglass, they look like a tomato steak. And so he would attach the uh, wires to the top of those stakes and set them up. And they, uh, when he needed to steer the antenna, because the beverage probably has about a 10 degree beam width, 10 to 15 or so. And when he wanted to steer it, he would just run down the row and move the stake over for each segment until it was pointing a different direction. He just pull it up and set it back down. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, and I'd like to do something on a beverage antenna, but I don't have the room here. We need, we need a lot of room, man. Thousands of feet. Well, actually, uh, okay. uh, a 500-foot long beverage uh, would work pretty, pretty reasonably well. You don't, doesn't, doesn't yeah. have to be that long. And in fact, really, I think it's just some multiple of a wavelength. Uh, maybe two wavelengths, I think, is a minimum length for a decent beverage, uh, which isn't really that much, uh, even on, tw on 20 meters, for example. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the secret there is the matching resistance and how you couple it. Uh, and also, the, uh, another secret was uh, to put uh, toroidal uh, chokes on the feed line to help with the uh, reducing the noise level and well, that and that's I would, the real uh, key is it's the noise level uh, and it's not the gain but it's the signal and the noise improvement yeah and I was thinking you could put a little preamp out there too you know that would help I would think all right so As I mentioned at the beginning of the show, we're going to try to do some uh, satellite stuff. I'm going to uh, work tomorrow to see if we can't get our satellite station up and running. And uh, we'll start doing a few segments on that. We've had some interest in uh, satellite work and uh, ISS work. Hey, Tom, did, uh -huh. you ever, uh, did you ever operate with a quad antenna, a cubicle quad? No, I... 
No, I never like a uh, like a quad beam or just a one yeah, element. Yeah, a cubicle quad. No, it's no. got you know three elements. Uh, no, I never, I never pole. did, never did. Uh, I've used a single. They element. are just phenomenal. Uh, yeah. I had a tri band, twenty fifteen and ten quad uh, with fiberglass poles. It was big. It was um, wind would it handled wind pretty well. Um, but as I mentioned some about a year ago in your show, uh, one day I had an ice storm and it coated that thing in ice and all the fiberglass poles were bending in. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I started rotating the antenna back and forth to try and break the ice off. And instead it, uh, broke, it the, uh, yeah. broke the fiberglass poles. <laughs> so I, uh, so I, I saved up my allowance money i was in high school at the time and uh i replaced all the poles it took some effort and then i was back on the air again but they are a phenomenal antenna and uh then five months later a tornado came through and took the doghouse the fence and twisted my tower like it snapped it like a toothpick when i came home there was this big ball of fiberglass pole bits and wire all crumpled up in a ball in my backyard at the end of that tower that was snapped over. So at that point, I figured Mother Nature did not want me to have a quad antenna. Right, well, you know, they're making that now, uh, the the little quad uh, Yaggies now for two meters and even 440. Yeah, Uh, that's what I got up on my roof. Is that what you got up on, Quaggy? Quaggy is uh, the the reflector and the driven element are quads, and then you have, Yagi elements for the directors, and that's called a quaggy, um, yeah. and that works great. I've built quaggies on all bands from two meters on up to 1200 megahertz. In 1680, mm-hmm. I used to track uh, ozone sounds in 1680 megahertz, and I built a little teeny quaggy that had a, a one inch uh, square uh, mm-hmm. rector and, and driven element, and uh, it is about a one and a half inch for each of the thing on a little two foot long pole and it works fantastic yeah and that's what i've got up on my roof is the uh they sold them at dayton uh it was the scorpion 88 and it's a pvc and wire and the actual uh bending points on the wire itself are little arrow knocks mounted uh-huh. on uh, uh fiberglass rods and it's like seven elements on two and 440. Mm-hmm. It's actually a dual bander, and I got a pair of them up on the roof. Oh, that's a fantastic antenna. And I've got them, one's vertically polarized, the other is horizontally, and that's gonna be, that's my satellite rig. What satellites are you planning to start uh, operating on, uh, Tom? Well, you know, I haven't worked them in so long. I don't know which are the best ones up there. You know, all the, the FM birds, back when I used to get on, there were a lot of FM birds. They've all gone bad, pretty much. Uh, the well, there's a lot of new ones yeah, that, that new are ones. phenomenal and uh, that you can make contacts through. Um, yeah. Both traditional linear transponders and uh, FM. Yeah. And uh, there's one that I believe is sense down teletype. So there's some really interesting student ones that are up there now. Yeah, I was... Uh, uh, you know, and you can find out the current list of 
satellites that are operating in their modes and the time they're going to come by. Yeah, I uh, 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 had gotten into linear uh, birds. They're a little bit more difficult to work uh, with the Doppler shift, but uh, now the new the new programs. The one I'm, the program I'm running now is Sat PC32. Uh, That's a good one. Yeah, you know it will. Um, it actually controls the Doppler shift and everything on the uh, on the radio. Uh, as the Doppler shift changes, uh, the frequency changes, and uh, uh, I, I have to still do manual. I've got a manual azimuth and a manual elevation rotor, so I have two rotors I have to play with. I haven't automated that yet. Uh, now, I, now, I use the, the Yesu, I think it's the G5500. Yeah. Uh, that's an a rotor, and that works pretty well. That's, is that both the uh, azimuth elevation? Yes, yes. I've got. I've got the. I've got. Uh, who makes that rotor? That was. Uh, Yesu. Yeah, I think I've got one, but it's it's an earlier version. It's only the uh, the uh, elevation. Well, they made that 5400, and I think they made yeah. it 5500. Yeah. Unfortunately, lightning came in, and uh, um, I had my uh, power strip unplugged from the wall, but. I left my radios all plugged into that power strip and the rotator. Yeah. And uh, it hit my antenna and it came in through the rotor wires. Yep. Blew out the circuit card on my uh, rot- rotor controller and blew out all the radios that were hooked up to that uh, power strip. Well, even though they weren't plugged into the wall. I've had really about the same thing happened of course you think over 58 years of being a ham it's going to get you at least once and it did um you know i had i think i had 80 or 90 feet of tower up and it came down the tower and it got it just got everything man it it came down through the rotor and everything uh but i've got a friend coming over tomorrow um um and uh rick uh wa4 nvm's coming over he's very uh very uh, much into the satellite stuff uh, here. He's worked all uh, all grids on satellite, I guess. Uh, I forget how many there are in the U.S., but there's a bunch of them. I think there's only about four or five people that have done that, and Rick is one that has, has accomplished that. And uh, he usually sets something up at field day, you know, for satellites. So he's going to come over tomorrow, and we're going to try to dust off my satellite system here uh, I've only got a, a single 11 element Yagi out there, or 13 element on two meters, and I think I got a 11 or 13 element on 440 out there, uh, which should be able to work the birds fine. I used to always work them fine, uh, but uh, I do have about a hundred foot run of low loss coax going out there, and uh, I don't know if that's causing me an issue or not. I may have to put some switched uh, preamps out there. Yeah, well, if you, go to, if you go to amsat.org, and there's a link for satellite info, and uh, they also have a conference every year for those wanting to get into amateur radio satellites, mm-hmm. um, and it's usually in the fall, and it's always a, a fantastic uh, uh, event. I don't know if they're going to do an in-person one. I'm going to look here and see. Um but they might be doing a Zoom. Let's look at the. Uh, I'll look at the events here and see if see if they're going to plan on doing an in-person AMSAT 
um, one year I won won the main prize, and it was like a uh, a TS um, two thousand. Oh, that's yeah. cool. That's what they I'm. Have, that's what I'm using. Prizes. That's what I'm using for satellite over here, the TS two thousand. Oh, that's a great radio. But sometimes um, they made a batch uh, with faulty uh, filters. And if you ever get um, a TS two thousand that has what it sounds like, uh, there's a birdie. There's a birdie on the SO fifty. SO fifty, yeah. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, but but if you get one and it sounds like you've got a thunderstorm approaching, oh. which lots of static and crashes, but you don't even have the antennas hooked up. You may have one that's got the uh, audio filters. They were faulty. They had a crack in them, or some yeah, something yeah. happened to the uh, Tokoko filter that was in there, and right. uh, had to replace that. So, and it was a batch they made, uh, and unfortunately, the one I had um, have is has that, and you had to send it in and get it fixed because it's not an easy job to get at it. Yeah, yeah. Now I've got the ASU FT847 here, but. I need to have it checked out because I'm not sure the receive is as sensitive as it should be. And I'm running the G5400 controller as well, except mine's got an Arduino, so I can just sit back and let Ham Radio Deluxe do the tracking for me. Oh, excellent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, hey, let's talk a minute. Hey, uh... They have, uh, by the way, they've got the, uh, the actual YouTube of the... Uh... Uh, last year's uh, AMSAT Space Symposium. Uh -huh. They have a lot of great, uh, they did it all virtual, of course, and so they've got a lot of great stuff on YouTube there, and I'll have to send you the uh, link here that you might want to post in the chat room for that, because okay. uh, they're always um, very useful at the conference. I don't know what they're going to do this year, whether they're going to be... Uh, doing a live event or a Zoom event. So uh, I'll try and find that out. Well, one thing, one thing, Huntsville is going to be live this year. Oh, I can't wait to get there. Here's the floor plan. They usually have a satellite demo. Yeah, yeah here's the uh, floor plan if you guys uh, haven't looked at it. Uh, we're going to be located, they're, they're opening up a whole lot more area. Um, They've, they've removed a wall. If you look down here where all the chairs are, and you'll see the stage, that's all new additional space they're adding this year uh, to spread that things out a little bit more. That was you, just a typically behind the curtains where some yeah, of the yeah. and could go in for a little private lunch. But Yeah, they used to close that wall off there. Really so if you look right there on the very uh, left end, you'll see the stage and a whole bunch of chairs out in front of it. And you'll see our, our booth, W5KUB, is going to be right next to the stage uh, up there. Um, so um, we like being that We've always been next to the stage. I think we're, that's going to work out good for us. Um, what we probably will do is every hour we'll probably make a, a walk around and get... Uh, you know, maybe 15 or 20 minutes of video as we walk around, and we'll come back and we'll uh, we'll shoot that out to you. It won't be quite live. It might be, you know, 20 minutes delayed, but uh, we hope that every hour we can um, 
We can show you like something new. The stage area is in that new wing that they're going to open up yeah. for the show. Yeah. Yeah, and we're, we're right next to it there. Um, and uh, we're going to have to do something with that ticket barrel. The ticket barrel is between us and, and the stage. I've got to get that ticket barrel moved. Uh, everybody seems to like to use our table and our pens and pencils to fill our tickets out. So uh, that's not going to work real well for us here. I'm talking with Mark to see what we can do on that. I wonder if, uh, I wonder if Mark's in a chat room. Uh, Mark, uh, Mark Brown, uh, N4BCD, uh, uh, he's the general chairman of... Uh, of the Huntsville Ham Fest, and he's usually in the chat room. I don't know if he's there or not, but uh, hello, Mark, if you're out there, and uh, we can't wait to get there. You know, one of the things that I'm hoping is, I, as I mentioned before, I talked to our friend astronaut Doug Wheelock, and Doug tells me he wants to go to Huntsville with us. He says he misses the ham community, and Doug uh, said he would like to go. And he was going to put it on his calendar, his NASA calendar. Now, whether he can make it or not, we won't know. Uh, typically, we don't know until a, a day or two, you know, before the event. Hey, Tom, can I share the screen for a minute? You sure can. Let me let me turn you on here. Oh. Yeah, I managed to get me a room at the Embassy Suites, and I still don't know how, but I think I got yeah. like the last room they had. That's impressive. Yeah. All right, Bill. Uh, you sh you you can share. See if that comes through. Yeah. Yeah. I got my uh, certificate downloaded. The For those of you who work the last man standing special event, um, you can, uh, uh, they will have either sent out a uh, email to you if you have an email on qrz.com. And if you don't, uh, you can uh, go to their website and go to a link to, uh, to download the certificate if you made a contact with one of the special event stations. Yeah. Uh, of course, I only worked one of them. Yep. Uh, KA6LMS-4 slash 4 had just quit on me before when I got things fired up. <laughs> yeah. So... Um, but anyways, um, if you worked all the, the slash zero through slash nine stations, and I think uh, the K6L, the three-letter call signs, there's a little message that says clean sweep, and Mark Brown showed me his on yeah. Facebook. And he's got the word clean sweep on the upper left-hand corner. Oh, okay, that's cool. That's quite a feat to have worked all those stations. He must oh, have yeah. That for a while. Well, but it's you know, certificate, and he had his printed out on cardstock at a print shop, and he's going to frame it. <laughs> well, now that Tim, uh, now that the show is off, I mean, it'll be on, uh, you know, in syndication. But maybe he has some spare time. Maybe we can get Tim on the show here. I don't know, man. That's going to be tough to do. Uh, we uh, let me see. I got a picture here uh, somewhere. Let me look. Here we go. I don't know if you guys remember the original Mandy, but that's the original Mandy there uh, that was replaced later by the, the blonde there. And here's a, here's a picture of me and Tim discussing having him on our show. Now, I don't think it's going to happen because uh, Tim has a 
pretty uh, big requirement to uh, have people on a show or have him on, you know, on your show. Uh, Tim's price is $100,000 per event, uh, a private jet, and that includes uh, all expenses for his family. So I don't think uh, Amateur Radio Roundtable is going to be able to get him on here. Well, we can always try we'll a Kickstarter we'll, we'll, and see we'll what try, happens. We'll try, man. We'll try. Yeah. Well, let's see. Anything going on? Nobody else has called in. Uh, let's see what's going on in the chat room. Yeah, Danny, uh, Danny was talking about sawing off the tree to the correct length. It would do better. Uh, as I mentioned uh, to Glenn earlier, I, I don't want to saw my trees up. <laughs> that's why That's why you have an antenna, uh, uh, auto antenna tuner out there. You just tune it for any any band. Don't don't start trimming limbs off. Yeah. So, uh, Bill, yeah, that's going to be the, uh, Huntsville's going to be our first good ham fest. I, we'll see you down here, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. And the thing I really like about Huntsville is that I don't have to drive eight hours to get to it. That's right. I just hop in the car and I'm there in about 35 minutes. So yeah, uh, it works out pretty well. Although I have been tempted to get a room at the Embassy Suites, but it's pro I know it's too late now because yeah. uh, it is. They've got a hospitality suite there that's really fun. You get to meet a lot. Well, of you can still come by it and and I, I still and, do that. Yeah, and and, and just you know pop in. Staying in the hotel, you walk across the catwalk and yeah. you're right into the ham fest. Uh, you just can't beat that uh, convenience. Yeah. 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 Well, I think it's. It looks like we're going to have a good program schedule of speakers as well and vendors. And so it's. And the flea market looks like it's going to be a, going to be great. So, um, mm -hmm. I mean, all the people that have been pent up uh, from going to ham fest for two years now you're gonna have a lot of good stuff there that's, that's oh, yeah. right yeah. that's right i mean i've got mountains of stuff upstairs but i can't sell at huntsville because i'm presenting and i want to be buying exactly and, yeah. and with me only being there saturday it takes me all of saturday just to go through all the vendors and flea market for me so i i'm not gonna i'm gonna have to have somebody sit at my table and sell my stuff for me well, that's one of my issues. I don't go to all these forums because if I do, I miss out the ham fest, and that's kind exactly. of what I, I like it better, you know. I had one friend that he had a big van and a trailer, and at the end of the Dayton Hamvention, he would go around loading up with the piles of stuff that the boat anchors that people would leave behind. Oh yeah. The, oh. Somebody's boat anchor is somebody else's prize, so. He would then spend the rest of the year going to all the, uh, the smaller ham fests mm. and make thousands of dollars selling stuff that was left over in the flea market. In oh, Dayton. man. Let me tell you, Dayton on Sunday, Sunday about noon or Sunday morning, 10 yeah. o'clock, the trash cans start filling up with stuff there, man. And uh, there's some good picking stuff out of those trash cans. He would grab the really good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So I have a story about uh, the satellites. Uh, AMSAT Oscar 6 did a flight test when I was a teenager over the Midwest, and it's a linear transponder. And we, 
I was able to talk through that, that before they sent it into space. And it worked really well. They flew it on a, I believe, a Cessna uh, around the Ohio, Indiana, and Illinois. And I was working people in Chicago from Ohio through the transponder. And then I got to work it when it went in space and also Oscar 7, AMSAT Oscar 7. And uh, then AO7 stopped working because it had an ICAD battery and as you know, those uh, crystal, the metal crystals will short out the uh, batteries eventually, and that's what happened. Mm -hmm. And then I believe like 30 or 40 years later, yep. that finger. It opened. Uh, it went open. Moved, and now it's totally solar powered, but yep. it's still working after all those years. And yeah, that's correct. Yeah. The really incredible thing is that I actually heard it and worked it when I was a teenager and now I could still work it when it's in sunlight. Yeah. I actually modified my HW 101 and gave it a 10 meter receive preamp just for Oscar seven. Yeah. Phenomenal satellite. Mm. All right. We, uh, we're just about ready to close up for tonight. Uh, we had a great discussion on a lot of different topics tonight. Uh, so we uh, will be going off our shortwave uh, program here in about four minutes. If you're out there on uh, listening on shortwave, again, send us an email to tom at w5kub.com. Let us know where you are. Give us a signal report. We're on uh, uh, WBCQ, 7490 kilohertz, and that transmitter is up at Monticello, Maine, it's right on the border of Maine and Canada, so it's way up there. And let's see what else. Uh, if we got anybody that just came in late, please uh, help us uh, hit the subscribe button. We need you to hit the subscribe button. Uh, that will help us out a whole lot. Uh, hit the like button if you like the show. I noticed tonight there are a few people that uh, I think we bored them with some of the topics. We can't have a topic that everybody likes every week. And people are, are, are saying our show is too long. Well, you know, um, we could make this show easily uh, six or seven hours long, but we've decided to cut it back to two hours. But, um, hey, you know, if it's too long for you, take a break. You know, watch the other half tomorrow as it's recorded, and uh, you can watch it as a second show. You know, break it into two one-hour shows if you want to. So good night to everybody out there in the chat room. Uh, we, uh, we're glad you joined us. Just real quick, is there anybody new in the chat room that's new to our show? Uh, that uh, Please let us know if you're new to our chat room, new to our show. We'd love to uh, hear from you. Send me through to everybody, and uh, we will see you uh, next week. Anything else, Bill? Uh, Glenn, you guys got anything? No, I'm good. We'll see y'all next week. Let me turn the uh, phone lines off. I've got so many things here. All right. Phone lines are now off. There we go. All right. Good night to everybody out there. We'll see ya. Well, let's, let's, uh, we'll end this with a clip with uh, Glenn Popel. Uh, Popel here. Oh, my here God. We go. What here have we I go. done now? Here we go. So you're saying I can ask this cat any question? The cat is connected to the computer. You just type in the question, 
It's not mine. It's not me. But I've got to do it with one of mine. Here's the answer, Cole. It'd be interesting what you pick up. You're the man! I've been looking for this for weeks. Why is she 